Hello, bold and conscious leader. Welcome to our new and refreshed 2022 season of the Bold Conscious Connections podcast, where we bring to you people who have shown special courage, character, and consistency to express themselves fully. After all, as long as we're alive, we want to live a full life, don't we? So our guests that we bring demonstrate that they do not want to die with their gifts because we're all meant to be given gifts that we share with others. And this is how we play our part in raising our collective consciousness in this world through this podcast called Bold Conscious Connections. So without further ado, let me bring on our guest today. You might be wondering what consciousness has to do with crypto. Well, a lot in my opinion, and also in the opinion of Lou Kerner. So Lou and I go back 20 years, we've known each other for a while. And when I met him about a few weeks ago in New York, we started talking about community and all that link to consciousness came through. He defines community as an ecosystem where when it works, everyone gets more out of it than they put in it. That to me was fascinating to begin this conversation. So let me just tell you a little bit about Lou Kerner. Lou is the founder of the Crypto Oracle Collective. It's a leading decentralized Web3 advisory service with 200 plus Web3 experts. He is a partner also at Blockchain Co-Investors. It's a crypto fund of funds that invests in 40 plus world's leading crypto VCs. Lou is also the CEO of Blockchain Co-Investors Acquisition Corp which is a publicly traded special purpose acquisition company. He is a senior advisor to Global Blockchain Group at the investment bank Mollis & Company. So as I said, Lou and I go back quite a, quite a bit. Uh, you know, Wall Street Journal called him Wall Street's Bitcoin expert back in 2013. Lou is ranked among the most influential crypto bloggers on Medium, and he regularly keynotes major crypto industry events. He also founded Monday, Crypto Mondays, actually the largest crypto meetup in the world, which now has over 50 chapters in 50 cities. So without further ado, let me not stand in the way of you and Lou Kerner. I want to welcome Lou Kerner, my friend. I've known each other for about 20 years. Lou, I'm going to put your introduction in all the show notes and all the wonderful career you've had. But what I'd like to start with by saying is welcome to the show, Bold Conscious Connections. And let's begin by telling our viewers not what Lou does, but who Lou really is. And how do you like to introduce yourself as to who you are? Sure. So I say right now, what I've been passionate about for the last six years is community. When I saw the crypto light on June 29th, 2017, what I saw was for the first time in history, we have a tool set to solve for the community instead of the man in the middle who generally solves for himself. And it was my belief at that time and still today that has the potential to be the biggest thing to happen in human history. Well, you said that very fast. I know from knowing you what you define community as. I know you say a community is an ecosystem when it works. Everyone gets more out of it than they put in. But in relation to crypto, just say that again so that people get what you're talking about. So from 2003 to 2006, I ran the world's largest social network called Bull. So we peaked mm. to more than 20 million kids. I was first person called Zuckerberg and offered to buy Facebook a month after he launched. And you know, so I've weirdly been thinking about community for 20 years. And it was while running Bolt and running that community 
that I came to the belief that a community is an ecosystem, you know, when it works, everyone is able to get more out of it than they give. And you can think about that both at a micro level and a macro level. At the micro level, a community is two people, right? Mm -hmm. And if, you know, we've all been in relationships where one plus one can equal a hundred. Mm -hmm. So in the context of crypto, so what the crypto light, as you describe it, that you saw in June of 2017, what exactly was the epiphany, if you will? Again, the epiphany was that we now had a tool set, right? I mean, the problem, in my view, with, you know, community work and, and even kibbutz in Israel is the free rider problem and that, you know, you can have a set of rules, but the rules are, you know, very hard to enforce in a fair way. And, you know, we all know that all these experiments end up as failures, but now via coding, we can actually you know, have a way of enforcing those rules. And we also have a way of rewarding people for their behaviors in a way where again, you know, one plus one plus one plus one, you know, can equal, you know, thousands. Wow. So, you know, a lot of the world and fully my community and your community, you know, are a little bit more aware of what, what crypto is. And a lot of people think that's just crazy. People are nuts to be buying or selling anything related to crypto. Shed some light in terms of, you know, again, I, I kind of understand the consciousness aspect of all of this because that's where, that's where I saw the crypto like maybe a little bit earlier, but it's not about just trading and investment. So how do you people apply it to themselves? Sure. Well, you know, it's obviously one of the weird things about crypto is, is its complexity. And, you know, if you think about it, yeah, I don't know how to cellular phone works. I really don't have any idea. It's really complex. <laughs> and I don't really even know how the internet works, right? And the internet was around for a long time before, you know, Mark Andreessen invented the browser and made it very easy to use. And so I still think we're at that pre-Mark Andreessen place in crypto where it's, it's very complex to use and, and to understand. And obviously, in order for it to be a, a mainstream thing, we've got to abstract away all that complexity, just like we did with the mobile phone, just like we did for the internet. And so I don't explain Bitcoin to people or crypto to people, or at least what it means to me. But what I help them appreciate is more try to give them an incentive to learn because, you know, it takes a little bit of time. It's not rocket science. It could take a few weeks to a few months of, you know, an hour to a day of learning, reading. And the weird thing, too, is in my view, it's infinite. So everybody sees something different when they see it. For me, you know, when people ask me, you know, what is Bitcoin? What is what is crypto? You know, I, I say for me. I really feel like I grew up in a culture of greed and I was taught the more I took for myself, the better. Mm. And I got to tell you, it made a lot of sense because <laughs> I like taking stuff and I was good. You know, I like stuff and I was good at taking it. But it turns out that there are other cultures of giving, mm. cultures of community. And, you know, that's the culture that I want to be a part of. And that's the communities that I am a part of in the crypto communities that I'm with. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly privy to the fact that, you know, you started Crypto Oracle, the collective, but also Crypto Monday. So we'll, again, for those listening, you know, Lou's already a well-known influencer. You can read more about it, but he's been a crypto thought leader since 2013, where Wall Street called him Wall Street's Bitcoin expert back then. Pretty shallow understanding. Yeah, Wall Street Journal wrote a story on Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> Quoting me as Wall Street's Bitcoin expert in 2000, <laughs> December 2013. <laughs> right. And so I know that I was part of the Crypto Mondays as well. And it's now in, what, 50 cities and around the world, not just not the U.S. So, Lou, you've been actually, you know, you're a gifted guy. You're an analyst, Wall Street, Wall, Wall Street analyst back in the day, Goldman. And you went 
Stanford, UCLA. You have a very colorful and very you know engaging background, and clearly you're a lifelong learner. So, and part of what I do here is, you know, it, for me, it's all about leadership and mindset mastery, which comes from within. It's not outside because you, you know, if, if it's lifelong learning, you you better want to learn whether it's crypto or something else. You don't need to know the intricacies, but you understand how it works. So let's tie this into the fact that every learning in our lives comes from some kind of trauma, turning points, challenges, the transitions that happen. <laughs> so can you can you talk a little bit about the obstacles, challenges that you might have overcome and what you learned from it? Sure. Well, you know, the two things happened in the six months prior to when I saw the crypto light in June of 2017. But definitely the biggest one was that my wife sued me and I was not unhappy about my wife suing me for, well, about my wife wanting to divorce me. I was aware that we had an unhappy marriage, but the fact that she wanted to sue me and involve lawyers and spend a lot of money and suck up a lot of time was quite distressing. And, and, you know, with a common practice among, you know, smart women whose, you know, husbands have made a buck is they wait until the week before you know, a few days before you file your taxes and pay your taxes, because that's when you have a big lump sum of money in your bank account. And then they tie up all your assets. So you can't even pay your taxes. And, you know, it, it was very distressing. And I didn't realize after working for 30 plus years and having a pretty, you know, successful career that one day I could wake up. And although I didn't do anything wrong, the government could seize all my assets. Mm. And I think, when that happens to people, I assume a lot of people do what I do, which is go, oh, my God, I did not know that was a thing. <laughs> what can I do so that doesn't happen again? And pretty quickly, you find your way to crypto. That's pretty fast, the transition. I'm just saying in terms of the obstacles you overcame, that was clearly a challenge that caused a turning point. Sure. Relate that to crypto. I, I, I'm sort of trying to find that bridge. Oh, well, just that, you know, if you self-custody, you know, your, your money, everything is on the blockchain. So if the government wants to, they can see that you've made money, right? They can see the money was, you know, its value was transferred from wallet A to wallet B. You know, that's mm-hmm. how they got Ross Ulbricht from Silk Road. Mm-hmm. But the difference is the government can't as easily attach it as they can mm-hmm. real estate, money in a bank account, stocks. That's very easy for the government to take. So are you suggesting crypto is the way of the future for everything, a lot of things in life? If this is a new technology, I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, going to be as impactful as the internet in the degree that and impactful is as electricity and as impactful as AI, right? Every company is an electric company and uses electricity. Every company is an internet company and uses mm-hmm. the internet. Every company is going to be an AI company and leverage AI. It's just going to be an integral part of everything that we do. And it's, you know, my belief, you know, and it seems obvious to me that we're on an inexorable march to crypto, you know, having that same place. And, you know, there are times when we want a middleman and, you know, middlemen can certainly be very helpful. But there's a lot of times when we don't want a middleman getting in the middle of every one of our transactions. Why do we need MasterCard to take 3% of everything that we buy? Mm. Right. That's just adding 3% on to what we're paying. It doesn't, we don't even know it because, you know, the, the retailers don't say we increase the price 3%, but obviously they do because retailers have to make a certain amount of money. And mm. so, you know, if you want to pay 3% more for everything, use your MasterCard. But if you don't want to, you want to save 3% of everything, you'll be able to use crypto. So it's not for hiding, but it, what it, this is about is getting, you know, rid of the man in the middle who extracts value 
And, you know, more often than not, I think dramatically more value than, than they give. And sometimes actually they're getting value and detracting value, right? The fact, obviously we have to wait three days to, for a wire transfer, right? You know, my kids will, you know, when they appreciate will laugh hysterically and think that's how the world worked, really? <laughs> so I assume your, your kids are pretty savvy and are beginning to, or at least ha- have an idea of what, what all crypto is and where it's going to go? Is there going to be wider acceptance? No, no. I, I don't think any of my kids deep. I mean, they're 20, 21, 24. And while they've heard me talk about it incessantly, you know, none, none of them have seen the crypto light. And it's, you know, actually weird that to me that, you know, NFTs, which are just give ownership over people to their digital goods, you know, is a bad word for gamers, you know, and that's fine. You know, that will change over time. If you call it a digital good that they like. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Just in the garb of whatever it is, but going back to community loop, because I, for me, this bold conscious connections podcast that I started almost a couple of years ago is all about the fact that we are all connected individually in other spiritual realms and maybe that's you know woo woo right now to be talking about but but the truth is what is it that we're talking about in terms of consciousness and collective consciousness and i have not seen anything in the world out there at least in my life of 60 plus years that there's been anything out there that actually it's a tool to bind us or actually to connect us in ways that you earn what you want to earn because i read somewhere that 1250 individuals out of almost 8 billion people own about 50 percent of the world's wealth and in terms of percentage, <laughs> point, point one, whatever percent that is, that own 90% of the world's wealth. What does that speak to in terms of our current state of level of consciousness in this world? Because this only happened in the, in yeah. the post-industrial uh, era. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, it's mind boggling that we decided to create a society where we get that concentration of wealth, you know, to what end? You know, the really amazing thing about community is you know, if you truly appreciate, you know, and spend your time in functional communities where everybody's able to get more of it than they put in, then you actually are live in a world of abundance, right? And this world of scarcity is just something that we've created for whatever reason. There's not scarcity in the United States, right? I mean, there's such incredible wealth. We've just decided not to share the wealth and to use it actually to create scarcity. Absolutely. Beautifully put. I mean, I was looking at numbers, 1950, so let's say give it, give or take a hundred years post-World War, First World War, maybe, maybe 1920, The population of the world was about a billion and a half, I believe, thereabouts. The total wealth of the world, however measured, was 80 billion. Today, we're 8 billion people, almost four or five times that number. And we have, I don't know, $180 trillion worth of wealth. So there's no question that there is the more ability to create, there is no scarcity per se, but it just seems to be garnered by a few. Exactly. And, you know, look, this is how we've decided to set up our society and we're not making it better. We're, we're making it worse, right? We're, you know, Supreme Court just, you know, voted down affirmative action in college. So you know, we can keep the people who have been kept down and continue to keep them down. The weird thing is what, you know, what Trump taught me was that when the North won the Civil War, wasn't like anybody in the South said, oh, I guess we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they said one day, you know, we'll bide our time and we'll get to put our boot on their throats. And now as a country, it seems all we do is take turn voting for 
you know, somebody so that we can put our boot on the other half's throat. And I don't think we're really a country anymore. So what gives us hope, Luke? Is this tool set that we have, you know, we don't have to live by laws. 350 million people all have to agree to live on in the United States, right? When we started off, we started off as separate states. It was only over time that the central government took on you know, more and more of rules for telling us all how we were going to live. And so whether it's in states or, you know, I, I think what you'll see is increasingly people are leaving the United States because there are more freer, fairer places to live in the world today. And I never thought I'd be saying that, but that's certainly through the goggles that I'm looking at the world at, you know, the way it appears. And, you know, the U.S. to me, you know, and it's not me, but Ray Dalio, right? You know, we... There has this epic chart of the, you know, 400 years of rise and falls of empires. And, mm -hmm. you know, according to his data, you know, we peaked in like the early 60s. And now we're in a free fall at the same time as China's ascending. And look, this happens to everybody, right? There's no, you know, nobody stays on top forever. The U.S. had an epic run, you know, and when the Great Britain was in decline, right, they said, you know, okay, we're in decline. Let's hook our star to the U.S.'s wagon. They're the ascending power. And, you know, we're unable to do that. We're so dysfunctional that what we're trying to do is brainwash our population that the China is the enemy, right? China should be our biggest worry, you know, and it's really crazy how that's been adopted by all of the politicians, all of the media. And let's see if we can kill China when, in fact, they're just the ascending power. And yeah, I think we'd be much better off figuring out ways, you know, not that China is, you know, the government's, you know, is nice to its people. Obviously not. You know, they're a repressive, authoritative government. But, you know, it certainly feels like that's what our government is here in the U.S. as well. So this is just one of the, as you said, tool sets out there. Are there others that help us to become more conscious of who we are and what we, what's being done to us rather than? Yeah, obviously, you know, going down the consciousness rabbit hole, you know, my personal journey, you know, started fairly recently. I think you were aware I met a Lama at the, in Davos mm -hmm. earlier this year, and he's really started opening up my mind about consciousness and the connectivity of everything, you know, in the universe. So, you know, everything I do is called bold and conscious. So, so tell me, I know we're all trying to discover ourselves, but what does consciousness mean to you? Yeah, that's a great, it's a great question. I'm still going down that rabbit hole. I'm reading an amazing book now called The Righteous Mind mm -hmm. that basically helps you appreciate that most of our deeply held beliefs, we came to with very little thought and we spend our whole lives trying to defend them, uh, not having an open mind to can they be wrong, but how do we defend them? And you know, we're greatly influenced in our morals by, you know, the social settings that we find ourselves in. We're really compelled to try, you know, we're social animals. So we try and fit in socially, you know, and it's much more important to the vast majority of us to be seen as morally correct than actually feel and be morally correct. Well, I'm going to get that book too, but because I read all the time and I got my own book and talk about all this. So in my book, we talk about the consciousness level is in three ways is one is your own internal mindset. That's a victim mindset, which is life is happening to me. Number two level is life is happening by me, meaning I'm in charge and I rule the world. I can do anything, you know, and, and make anything happen to me for me. And then the third is life is happening for you or through you. 
as Tony Robbins says. You know, it's nice to be very clear. Oh, it's life is happening through me. So yeah, you're nothing. You're just simply an instrument of consciousness or not because you're living your life based on the five senses and not being aware of who you really are. Now, all these things happen too at the same time to us. You know, sometimes we feel like our victim. Somebody cuts us off in traffic, like, you know, what a jerk. And, and then sometimes you're in charge and sometimes you're not. So any of these elements sort of appeal to you? Sure. I mean, I think that's a very useful construct. I and mean, for me, I guess I strive to be a stoic, I believe that there are things in the world that we can impact and that we should work and impact that. And most of the things in the world we can't impact. And so we should just, you know, accept them. You know, it's kind of like gravity, right? You can be mad at gravity, but that's not really going to have an impact on gravity. And it would be great if gravity wasn't around, but gravity is here. So we've got to deal with it. And, you know, I think that's what stoicism is, you know, appreciating what you can change and, you know, changing what you can and accepting what you can't. Yep. Comes back to what you can control, what you can't, right? Exactly. So the other word is bold, Lou. What does it mean in our thesis? I talk about bold being, you know, you, you're ambitious, you're decisive, you're convinced about something. Then there are the two H's. One is that you're humble. And then lastly, you're heart-centered. So, so we made up a definition of bold in our book. What does bold mean to you when I say bold? You know, bold's a, a great word. Yeah, I think to some degree it means to me, you know, there, there are a lot of smart people in the world. <laughs> and... You know, when, when I became an analyst, the first lesson I learned was that markets are really efficient. You know, that said, you know, now I feel that once in a while I'm able to see things that other people can't for whatever reason or don't. And so, you know, part of being bold is, I think, really believing in yourself and in what you see. And, you know, not only believing in it, but acting on it. Right. You know, it's, you know, sometimes we see things, but we don't have the ability, courage to act on it. And, you know, so I think, you know, being bold is believing yourself and acting on it. And I think one of the things that our society, I, I think our society puts too much of a burden on people for failure when, you know, mm -hmm. failure, you know, shouldn't be seen as such a bad thing, right? We, we should be trying yeah. things a lot more. I think most people should be bolder. Awesome. If failure is the way to do anything that's meaningful and of learning in life, right? Can yeah. you tie society to community in your definition of community, the way you described it earlier? I give a talk called 10 Thoughts on Community. And, you know, one of my thoughts is that a community can scale highly correlated to what I call value delta. So in other words, a community manufactures something for community members at a cost of X. Community members get it and they value it at Y. And the difference between X and Y, the bigger the difference is, the bigger the community can become. If you think about it, the biggest communities in the world today are actually the things with the biggest value deltas. And we have a collective name for those things. We call those things religions. Mm -hmm. And that's why they've scaled to billions of people and lasted thousands of years, because they have massive, massive, massive value delta. Mm. So, Lou, how do you tie all of this, whether it's consciousness, the new light that you're living in the middle of, you see the new tool set, how do you tie that into life's leadership? So my macro lessons, so like with Crypto Mondays, the meetup that I started in New York in January of 2018 now in 51 active chapters around the world. And the business model for that is simply the more you do for the community, the more the community takes it, multiplies and gives it back. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think if you're always focused on the different your communities are in, um, how can you give more to the community? Yeah, I, I think that's really how I try and focus my mind share. 
And, you know, one of the interesting things, if you think about back to my definition too, about community, Mm -hmm. that everyone gets more out of it than they give. And so, you know, if you think about the genesis of any community, you know, and again, the easiest to think about a two-person community, right? That it's the genesis of a two-person community, you know, one person has to be the first person to give. And so, you know, I'm always comfortable being the first person to give. It doesn't have to be a lot, Mm -hmm. but you know, the, the rewards from that, from when it works and you're able to build that community so astronomical that even if you give to lots of people and none of them give back, you can still come out a massive, massive winner. That is so powerful. I mean, I'm, I'm just imagining that because that's really the power of community. I mean, I always sort of bristled at the word community about five, seven years ago, and now I understand much more the meaning of it. And I learned from you. Yeah, I'm learning every day. I think we're, we're really at the very beginning of this community journey. Yeah in terms of really, you know, optimizing it for human coordination. I mean, you know, people, particularly in the U.S., you know, they say we want to connect, you know, with the post-pandemic. Oh, my God, I really want to meet people, like-minded people, community. But nobody actually does it or pays for it. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I I think there are all kinds of different communities. For myself, you know, one place where I learned a lot about community was I was the longtime shareholder of Meetup, you know, before I started actually running Meetups. And I think meetups are amazing where people get together and share their passions. You know, if you think about the greatest decentralized community, I think, you know, arguably is AA, right? And and look at the massive positive impact AA has had on people's lives. Yeah. So what, what would be a, a couple of leadership lessons you've learned thus far in your life? I think the first big leadership lesson I had, I was running my first startup TV. We had acquired the rights to the top level domain TV from the island nation of Tuvalu. And it was about, you know, when we reached like a hundred employees, I came to the belief that all of my employees, everybody wanted the same thing and they wanted it all the time. And I could say it in just one word and that word is more. I think it's human nature to want more. That's how we're wired. And so as a manager and a leader, and, and you want to reward people, you know, and the challenge is, you know, how do you keep on giving them more? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's something that I've yeah, struggled with <laughs> since. And that's actually something that plays very well to community, right? Because community is all about how do you continue to give them more and more and more. That's really what community does is try and give its members more and more utility. So in terms of the lesson, if I was listening to this, what what would that be to walk away that I know that it's endemic to me to want more? If you want to keep people engaged, you have to figure out how to continually give them more and more and more. I see. So it's not just material, it's growth. Sounds like that's what you're saying. It's, it's everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Some people want, a lot of people obviously want more money. Lots of people, surprisingly, my favorite people were the ones who wanted more responsibility. I love them. Yes. <laughs> Lots of people <laughs> wanted more, more time off, right? Time off is very important to a lot of people, right? right? So, and, and everybody you know, has a different set of things that they prioritize in a different way. But what they all shared is whenever you gave it to them, they were generally happy for a nanosecond and then it was, you know, they were wanted more again. And, and again, I don't think that I'm any different. So it depends on what motivates people and in terms of whatever it is that they're one more of. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. 
so I don't know, at least in my lifetime, I've had a few cycles, economic cycles or other cycles, I'm sure you have as well. By all counts, this particular one, the last two or three years of a very different, you know, let's call it whatever the pandemic is and was and continues to have some way that we're now living in fear. What advice would you give to someone who's listening to us, who's a leader, but yet is navigating some real unusual uncertainties that they've never faced before? Look, I think it's hard for everybody. Yeah, I think the success that I've had, you know, is, is again, trying to be a stoic and, you know, recognize that, yeah, to some degree, life, life is a Ferris wheel, right? And, you know, you're only on top for so long and then life, you know, has a way of putting you at the bottom. But, you know, if you hang out long enough, you can, you know, be back on top again. And, you know, I'm a, a huge lover of the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. You know, and, and it's a whole lot of lines that if you can do all these things right, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat both imposters just the same. You know, my uh, sure favorite told you the joke, you know, it's my favorite insight into humanity is about the mother with two twin 12 year old sons. One's always happy and one's always sad. She brings him to a doctor to understand the difference, you know, like what's going on. And, and the doctor puts them each in a separate room, each in a big box and he fills the box full of horse shit for five minutes. And he goes to the one who's always sad after five minutes and he's whining, oh my God, give me out, it's the worst day of my life. And he goes to the one who's always happy. And he's like, oh my God, oh my God, so happy, so happy. They struggle to calm him down. Finally, after a few minutes, they're able to calm him down and ask, you know, what are you so happy about? And so, oh my God, oh my God. He says, I love horses. And I know with all this horse shit here, there's gotta be horse somewhere nearby. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, life is, a box of horseshit, right? We all deal with disappointment. We all deal with death. And, you know, you can spend your time focused on that or you can spend your time looking for the horse. Awesome. So, you know, for someone who says who's touching or going down the rabbit hole of consciousness, you're pretty conscious, my friend. <laughs> you are. And, you know, again, it begins with awareness, obviously, right? So um, before I ask you one last question, let me wrap it up. I just want to make sure that you... You know that I don't take anything for granted, Lou. Wisdom and learning is all around us. It happens all the time. So I certainly, I've learned a lot from you and just in this conversation, because learning, as we said, never stops. It's a co-creative process. And even yeah, our audience- I'm sure. well, so thank you. No, no, no. I mean, our audience doesn't take for granted. So we appreciate your presence here. So in that context, what discoveries might you've had about anything in this conversation? In the context of learning and you know creating and co-creating our own process of learning, what discoveries might you have about yourself or otherwise in this conversation in the past 45 minutes or so? We were talking about something earlier that you and I pointed out as you made a good point. I was going to go back and, and remember it, you know, because you know, part of the problem is obviously when you're being interviewed, you're focused a little less. Yeah, you're trying to listen to the other side, but you're also trying to think a lot about what you know what you're talking about. You know, the, the whole mindfulness, you know, I, I don't think I've really integrated into, you know, kind of my day to day, you know, minute to minute, you know, to the degree that I do. So definitely this conversation you know, raised my kind of awareness of that, you know, thinking about just integrating it more because, you know, what I found is, you know, the more mindful I am generally, the happier I am. And I, I think probably the better I perform. Mm, beautiful. Well, you know, uh, one question I normally ask my guests and I didn't ask you is like, what are your practices that you have to raise or be more conscious? And perhaps I could have asked that and I can still ask that. So, you know, so maybe it's the beginning of a, maybe just one practice a day or two that make you become more centered and aware. I would probably say, you know, the thing that I do that, you know, helps me 
become you know more mindful is microdose. Ooh, all right. But people who don't know what that is, like I didn't know anything um, about that six months ago. But what what does that mean? Yeah, you know, for me, it's a psychocelibin. It's actually legal now or been decriminalized in various jurisdictions, and I think will continue to be. I think we're in the early days of research, you know, to deeply understand it. But you know, I certainly feel that you know I'm able to be more present and just you know more aware for extended periods of time as opposed to you know, I think for much shorter periods of time, you know, outside of that. All right. Well, I'm going to leave that thought <laughs> as in the air. Appreciate you being here, Lou. I really feel like this was very meaningful. And for those listening to this conversation, very interesting. It combines some of the, the worldly things that are going on and how they connect to community and who we are. I think that's really, really unique. I appreciate that. Appreciate you. Okay, sure. Well, thank you for having me. And you know, thanks for what you're doing and you know, the value you're bringing to your community. Thank you. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode today. We strive to bring you conversations that make you think, reflect, and perhaps inspire you to take even one little step in your path towards personal growth and greater wisdom. Please download the show or the podcast episode that you just heard and leave us a comment so that we can continue to bring you meaningful and relevant topics in the future. Take care and thank you so much.